This is Bellator Colloquium, a podcast of the Bellator Society. Bellator in Latin means warrior, and a colloquium is a conversation. We at the Bellator Society are online warriors for the true, good, and beautiful, and this podcast is our conversation about all those things and so much more. Meet us here weekly at Bellator Colloquium and at bellatorsociety.com for content that will hopefully lift you, inspire you, comfort you, and make you feel a part of our Bellator Society. Bellator Society. This is Tracy and Fran, and we have a guest. You can hear him snickering in the background. Our special guest today is Matt Glover. He's a Catholic husband to a beautiful and very smart bride, our good friend, Brooke Glover. He's a father to two adorable little Glovers, and he's a deacon and a canon lawyer. He's also our friend and our chaplain here at the Bellator Society, and he tries to keep us from falling into error and mainly just prays for ourselves because as our friend in real life, he knows we need it. He's also a contributor, and he is in his second visit with us here on the podcast. He's a repeat. So hello, Deacon Glover. How are you? Hey, everybody. Hi, y'all. <laughs> hey, Matt. We didn't scare you the first time. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've noticed you're... I haven't been invited back on for like almost a year now. So <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're the only true. person that's been. This is you're the only person that we've had on twice now. My first yeah. repeat. You're I the so. uh, first. Oh, I think wow. you're our first guest originally, and now you're our first re- repeat guest. That is such we, an honor. Clearly, Seriously. we I appreciate we love that. You. It's our honor, too. We originally planned, Matt, for you to join us this week to talk about St. Joseph because his feast is this week. We're celebrating it on Thursday. This recording will come out on Friday. Um, And we also know that, as our friend, that you also have a a special devotion to St. Joseph. So you are really kind of the perfect person to talk about St. Joseph. So I just kind of like want to jump in and say, with your knowledge and your love of St. Joseph, can you tell us how St. Joseph would have advised the bishops to respond to the coronavirus? (laughs) (laughs) We would like for you to step in that quickly. <laughs> what would St. Joseph let have me, done? Let me dive right in. <laughs> okay. We're not going to wear boots. We'll, we'll get to Corona. We'll get to Corona because obviously that's something um, that is very on the on the forefront right now. And you have actually played a, a, a big role in um, some diocesan um, protocols and, and measures that are taken. So we'll get there by the end. But let's, let's talk about St. Joseph first. Sure. Um, so he has two feast days. I know that. Yeah. So St. Joseph, well, he's got, uh, he's got the, the traditional solemnity of St. Joseph coming up for, uh, well, it's on March 19th. And um, it's, uh, which is also conveniently enough, my wife's birthday. And so St. Joseph is also a, it was kind of interesting for us that, um, I mean, I've long had a devotion to St. Joseph, but my uh, my wife's birthday is on March the 19th, the Solemnity of St. Joseph. And so uh, she's really had probably even a bigger devotion to St. Joseph than I have uh, because of that connection with her birthday. So after we got married, uh, my devotion to St. Joseph uh, really uh, was uh, was strengthened and increased because of my wife. And so, I mean, a lot of times you hear, you know, St. Joseph's a man, and so this can be uh, common for men to have kind of sometimes a stronger devotion to him. And, uh, but really my devotion to St. Joseph was just, uh, was redoubled, uh, because of my wife and through my wife. And, um, 
and just seeing her passion and her devotion to St. Joseph kind of reinvigorated me to say, okay, I really got to reconnect with this and kind of double down on it. Mm-hmm. So we got the March 19th uh, solemnity, which is, uh, it may be the only uh, uh, time where a solemnity falls during Lent, where the Lenten stuff gets trumped. Mm-hmm. Um, St. Patrick's Day, you know, think bishop, it's, exactly. Right. So, but St. <laughs> Patrick's Day is not a solemnity. No. So. Now, now some bishops can, you know, can dispense if it falls on a Friday. Some bishops have uh, dispensed from the abstinence on a Friday. But in any event, um, but so, but bishops can't do away with the solemnity of Saint Joseph. It's a solemnity in the Universal Church, and so that's an awesome thing, kind of a little respite during Lent. Uh, but then the other one is uh, Saint Joseph the Worker on May the first, and so uh, for those of us here in the United States, that. Uh, that particular feast day probably doesn't make as quite as much sense um, because it was instituted in response to uh, what was internationally known as May Day or this uh, kind of so, uh, solidarity of workers movement, uh, it, which was very popular uh, in certain European countries. I know very popular in Italy. So my time in Rome uh, on May the 1st, every May the 1st, we just knew it was not worth it getting out and walking around because the city almost shut down with strikes and protests and oh, kind of massive worker movement uh, protests, worker solidarity, union type stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't mean to say that flippantly or knock it or anything like that, but it's just that reality over there. We don't see that here in the United States. So mm-hmm. it's just a very different uh, uh, connection with St. Joseph the Worker. And so um, Pius Twelfth, I think, back uh, in like the 1950s, uh, was seeing this, uh, this movement in secular society where workers were banded together, and it was taking a very uh, solely secular turn. And so what does the church do when it sees something secular that's, uh, that it wants to kind of redirect in a good direction? It kind of uh, it takes it over and, and it. adopts it. <laughs> we just take it and we put a little, you know, Christian tweak on it. We and redeem so that's it what we, for Jesus. That's right. And so that's what we did with, with uh, St. Joseph the Worker. So St. Joseph the Worker falls on May the 1st, really to kind of, I, I don't, some would say counteract uh, the, the May Day movements. Uh, but, you know, it's really an attempt to kind of to Christianize it mm-hmm. and to give it a, a Christian focus on, uh, yes, we, we believe in the importance of the dignity of work, but it's not just the dignity of work for work's sake. It's that God has given us human beings the ability to do work and that we can actually grow closer to God through, uh, through dignified work and how we, how we work uh, individually, but in solidarity also with our fellow workers and so that's kind of all under the patronage of St. Joseph, who was a carpenter and worked behind the scenes quietly for you know all, most of his entire life. And um, so those are kind of the two big Joseph days. So what else do we know about St. Joseph? I mean, that was kind of going to be my question about like, like why the worker? And you, you've already answered it. It's because yeah. we, we know him to be a carpenter. And, you know, to be a worker of sorts, you know, not, not, not one of the, the elite, but one of the working class. Yeah. So that's, I guess that's the answer there. But why, I mean, what else do we know about him? We don't really know a whole lot. And, uh, you know, that's one of the reasons why I think his, the devotion to St. Joseph um, 
has been able to take a lot of different forms uh, in different countries and different cultures through the ages because it's kind of open to be uh, malleable to a particular culture or particular individual's devotional needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in some ways, it's sad that we don't know much about them, mm-hmm. but in some ways, it's a real bonus. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, and the, the very fact that we don't know much about them uh, also, to me at least as a deacon, and one of the things that I've kind of had to struggle with and kind of learned to accept as a deacon from just a spiritual perspective is that uh, we deacons, we're, we really are uh, expendable. There's just there's really not a whole lot of things that you absolutely need a deacon for. Hmm. So, I mean, priests, you need a priest for certain things, right? You can't have the mass without a priest. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, a deacon can do certain things in mass, but there's really not anything in a mass that a deacon is absolutely necessary for. Because mm-hmm. if a deacon's not there, the priest can do it. Right. And, it goes on. you know, yeah. And so, and and other sacramental things that a deacon can do under certain situations— and with certain permissions, lay people can do most all of those same things. And so a deacon kind of really plays a, a weird kind of in-between role in the life of the church that we're kind of expendable. Mm. And uh, so we kind of, it, it's supposed it, it, You're not expendable, to, Matt Glenner. I'm not, well, you You're know, not, not expendable. Not <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, we're supposed to not necessarily be in the limelight and not right. necessarily... Um, uh, be, I mean, we're leaders, but we're leaders in a servant model. And so, and that's very much who St. Joseph was. He was, I mean, he's obviously, was uh, a leader within his family, elite, became a leader within the community, but he was a leader because of how he served. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, what did he do for most of Jesus's adult life was, you know, rearing Jesus in uh, the religious traditions of Judaism and uh, helping, uh, you know, uh, be a spiritual leader within that family as well, but also teaching Jesus just the value of work yeah. and uh, and rearing him in the value of of just work and that the dignity of work and doing work well is, if done the right way and with that kind of spiritual attitude, is in itself a way to grow closer to God and grow closer within your family and so on and so forth. So, I mean, in some ways, he is St. Joseph is not the patron of deacons, but in some ways I could kind of see him being a kind of a patron of deacons in that sense. So, Oh, I love that. Would it be St. Stephen as the patron of deacons? Yeah. Right. He's yeah. A, okay. Yep. yep. Yeah. Um, I guess also, like, was it, was it JP2's, um, was it Redemptoris Custos? I'm probably butchering the Latin there, but basically it was his, <laughs> it was his exhortation on St. Joseph where he talks about that thing that you're talking about, like that, that hiddenness of St. Joseph. And, and I think that not just for deacons, but for all of us, especially now, yeah. that is so poignant, isn't it? That yeah. we are all called right now in this time to a life of a very particular hiddenness. And, you know, how wonderful that just as we are kind of being ushered into this season of sequester in a way that it's St. Joseph whose solemnity is at the, at the beginning of all of this. And w- could we even think of a better... Um, patron um, to accompany us on this this new life of hiddenness. Really, I love yep. that that you equated that with the diaconate as well. I think that that is it's so beautiful. Can you tell me why the um, 
why the popular statue for St. Joseph is w- the one where he's a, he's laying down. Like, what's that about? Because I know oh, the he's new a one that's, kind of yeah. happy deaths, but you see him a lot of times laying down because I, I wanted to get my husband one um, for his nightstand because I have one of the, our, you know, our Blessed Mother and, I, and John has um, a, a devotion to St. Joseph also. So anyways, but all the ones I found where he was laying down, is that, yeah. is that new? You know, I have not seen that. Well, I've seen it. I've not yeah. seen it really until relatively recently. Mm-hmm. And, um, okay. you know, so, so I'm, I am not entirely sure what, why the, uh, why the image of that is, has kind of taken root. Um, other than it's this notion again of, of, uh, I mean, it is the patron saint of the happy death, but I, but I think that my impression is that those images are intended to, uh, to bring us into solidarity with kind of resting with St. Joseph. And mm-hmm. so I don't know if it's to kind of connect the fact that he was a hard worker and he, you know, is the patron of, of workers. And he and got so kind of tired sometimes. Yeah, he <laughs> got tired down, Take a nap. And had, like, to, is, and, is, and had to are rest. Are we sleeping with him? Or, <laughs> <laughs> is, or is he, are we supposed to rest and not worry? Because Tracy, I, I just, he's not sleeping. He's just resting his eyes. <laughs> yeah, I think. Yes, I mean, I think like it's. <laughs> I think it really is. I think it's really tied in with the fact that Saint that Saint Joseph, you know, wor- his entire life was lived mm-hmm. in silence. And, I mean, in terms of in the public eye, and so um, you know, being able to rest with Saint Joseph, uh, and and do it resting in God with Saint Joseph, in a sense that. Um, we're not looking for attention ourselves. We're not looking for doing our good works and doing the hard work that God may have called us to do in our individual circumstances. We're not doing it in order to get attention. We're not doing it in order for other people to see it necessarily. Uh, I mean, other people may end up seeing it, and that's great because we give glory to the Father through our good works, and we shouldn't, you know, hide our light under a bushel basket, you know, and all no, that stuff. But but our intention shouldn't be. Uh, let me do these good works so that right, I, other right. people can see them and draw attention to me. Right. And so that image of St. Joseph sleeping or resting um, is also a reminder to us of that our ultimate uh, our, our ultimate goal is to rest in the Lord, not to rest in other people's, uh, the limelight from others. Okay. Another that, one of his icons, another one of his icons is, are, are the lilies, or I think it's the spike nerd. Um, and, you know, it's the flowers that he's holding. Um, yeah. well, he has the tool in some of them, but the lilies are one of them. And I think that that's always a, um, a point to uh, virginity, right? Um, or yeah. purity, I guess. Purity is probably the better. Yeah, the more better purity. Spell. Yeah. Um, and, and we had a, um, <laughs> we had, when I was in my former life, I was in seminary and, and uh, uh, our uh, guidance counselor guy or psychologist. Every most every seminary has an in-house psychologist, guidance counselor kind of guy. And our guy was a uh, was a old crotchety, <laughs> wonderful priest from like Brooklyn, and he you know just had the prototypical Brooklyn accent. And uh, the images of Saint this always sticks with me. The images of Saint Joseph with a with a lily. Mm-hmm. Always just drove him bonkers. <laughs> he, he just hated it. He wasn't arranging. And, oh, he flowers. hated it. He, he would. He would. He would always just try. He, his. This is what his voice was like. So uh, this may not. You know. You may have to cut this out for the actual uh, pub- publication of this thing. But he. He was like a lily. 
A lily. You know, <laughs> Joseph wouldn't have had a lily. Joseph was a man. You know, and he would just go off and on and on about Joseph was a man's man, and he wouldn't have been walking around carrying a lily for a flower. And but it's it's not because Joseph actually walked around carrying flowers. It's just a, a nod to his uh, to his purity. Yeah. So. What are some of his, what are some of his other are, do we have any other outstanding um, symbols from his iconology that y'all can think of those are the those are the two that I can think of is the tool what is it called the carpenter's tea or carpenter what is it I don't know yeah the the yeah. level the L yes, thing the L yeah. thing yeah yeah yeah. I said it was the a T, but I know it was a T square. square. I knew T had T something square. to do with the letter L in that yes. situation. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Catholicism is so confusing. <laughs> As right. is carpentry. That's right. <laughs> I'm actually no, looking over at actually... the... Uh... Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I have a friend who gives her husband lilies every feast day, and it's going to make me giggle now. But, I mean, I, I love... <laughs> Because I always thought, that is so sweet. I should do that. And I never have. But now I, I probably won't be able to do it with a straight face. <laughs> okay, what are you looking at? What's over well, to I was your just going to say, as, as we're recording this, I'm looking over at a, uh, I got my dad a, uh, a St. Joseph statue years ago uh, with a carpenter's saw and a, and a T-square. And uh, he, my dad passed away back in 2009. So when he passed away, uh, my dad always kept this thing on his uh, uh, kind of stand next to his bed, and uh, after he passed away, my mom gave it back to me. So I keep it on my on my dresser over there next to my bed, and I'm recording from home today. So I'm, I'm actually looking over at it right now. So oh, my dad was uh, my dad was um, he was a similar. He loved Saint Joseph because he could identify with that notion of working quietly, kind of behind closed doors, and not necessarily seeking fanfare for it. So, yeah. um, once a long time, time ago, probably, time probably I was in college. I got into a very impertinent argument, which I'm embarrassed to even say that I did about whether it was, whether it's more appropriate to depict St. Joseph as an old man or a young man. And at that time I was on old man team because, <laughs> well, because we have like some, you know, mystical writers who, and, and even apocryphal writings that say, you know, St. Joseph was an older man who had been previously married. And there's like this whole backstory again, kind of like you were saying about like, we know so little of him that there's a lot yeah. of room for us to make up a lot of stuff. Stuff. Yeah. And um, and for some reason, I just felt more drawn to the you know Joseph as the um, as kind of the older guardian um, guy. And then I heard, and I forget who it was. It was more recently a really compelling argument for Saint Joseph being more younger and kind of virile, and his sacrifice of purity um, with you know and being betrothed and then married to the Blessed Virgin Mary meant more for him as a younger man. Do you are y'all team old? Joe or young Joe, anybody? <laughs> anybody want to jump into those waters with me? <laughs> I've actually never thought about it until just right this minute. However, we have to remember that that in in Jesus's time, you were old if you were in your twenties. You know, so you could still be a rather young, virile man and be an upper teenager, seven, 18 years old, even possibly. Cause, um, that was just the time that they lived in, you know, women were married much younger and, um, but he is often depicted as older. Mm-hmm. Like now that you, now that you say that, I think I always thought he was probably just a little bit, he was just older, but I always thought 
maybe that was um, a little strange. Yeah. I don't know that I have a team. I okay. think um, I, it's hard for me to envision just in my own devotion to St. Joseph. It's hard to me in, to envision him being like around the same age as Mary when they got married mm-hmm. or when they were betrothed. And um, so I always view him as being older than Mary. Right. But I don't, but I don't mm-hmm. view him as being like a old grandfather. You right, know, because that's creepy. That's kind of that's creepy a little too. creepy. It's yeah. a little weird, you know. Yeah. But if you know, if he was in his you know mid to late twenties, I was when thinking he, like thirty. He, yeah, you when know? he and 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 so then when Jesus you know died you know at thirty three was crucified, then it, it, there there doesn't seem to be indication any indication that Joseph was still living right. at the time that right. um, that Jesus uh, uh, began his public ministry. And then was crucified and, and died. And in a lot of ways, you know, again, that goes back to the hiddenness of Joseph and that even his death, mm-hmm. you know, probably passed away during Jesus's what we call the hidden years. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, I mean, even in, in Joseph's death, he wasn't looking for fanfare. And so his death doesn't appear to be really recorded historically mm-hmm. as far we don't as have not any, with certainty. We don't have any like relics, do we? Not that I know of. No. Yeah. There's no real certainty about any of that. Mm. So he quietly died. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So um, I guess we have a development. Again, you kind of alluded to it, this development of a devotion to St. Joseph. Um, is it is it primarily, uh, what, what would you say is the, the benefit of reflection on St. Joseph? Is it as guardian of Jesus? Is it as, you know, the, the, the paternal leader of the Holy Family? Is it as, as the, as the, the quiet worker? Like, what do you think is the, is the, I don't know, you don't even have to say it's the best one, but the one that maybe you most often go to in your reflections, like, what do you think of when you think of St. Joseph? Yeah, uh, it used to be uh, as uh, kind of leader of the family and kind of a strong fatherly uh, uh, provider figure within the family. Um, uh, it used to be that uh, mm-hmm. when I, especially when I first got married and my first started having kids. Since I've uh, become a deacon, I've been involved. Uh, I'm certainly not nearly as involved as our priests are, and so I, I wouldn't want to, you know, say I'm an expert in this area at all. At all, but just within the last few years, involved more and more uh, when people uh, lose a loved one uh, in uh, working with families through those things, and uh, more and more involved in helping serve at funerals and at gravesides. And again, I'm certainly no expert. Uh, in those areas, uh, but I, I have seen um, more and more the value in focusing on uh, having a happy death, mm-hmm. yeah. and and people who lose a loved one, you know, they want to know. I mean, we just lost uh, a wonderful priest, uh, Father Jim West, and those were the kinds of conversations that I was having with his family and with his friends. Uh, you know, people want to know. There's just an instinctive. There's something instinctive in us that we want to know, how did he die Mm -hmm. and did he suffer? And that's what, you know, there's something instinctive about us that we want to know that. And um, so the more and more I've worked with families who lose loved ones and friends who lose loved ones, um, the more I've really come to appreciate the need to 
to uh, to ask for St. Joseph's intercession for a happy death, not just for myself, but for you know those who are closest to me, those who I know who are approaching death themselves, um, because you know we're all gonna we're all gonna get there. Nobody likes to think about it. We don't like to think about it, and but we're all gonna you know I, I don't want it to be today for me, but if it is today, I want it to be a happy and holy death for me, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I would say more and more, and I don't mean to be morbid in the face of the coronavirus stuff, and so it's not it's not even necessarily directly related to that, but just ministerially-wise, I've, I see the value in that mm-hmm. uh, with St. Joseph. And so um, I just think he was at such peace with his relationship with God and with his role in God's plan, yeah. you know, that that his, uh, the woman that he had become betrothed to was now all of a sudden going to bear the son of God. I mean, and he <laughs> was just, he was, he was just at, once he got the message from the angel that, you know, she wasn't fooling around on him or something like that, then, right. you know, I mean, he was just, he was just completely at peace with it. And he worked with Jesus you know, through those years, uh, raising him as his own. Uh, and um, I just think he was then, you know, seems like he must have then been able to die at peace. Mm-hmm. And and why we have no real, uh, there's not, not a whole lot of fanfare about his death and burial, mm-hmm. because he was just completely at peace with where, where his role was. And um, he didn't get as much as, attention as Mary, Certainly doesn't get as much attention as Jesus, and he shouldn't, yeah. uh, you know. But uh, it's just amazing the very little we have on him in the Gospels uh, has led to such great devotion to him throughout the whole church. Yeah, so. I think he's only mentioned like 13 times in the Gospels, which is bonkers, just knowing the, the great devotion that um, the universal church has had historically to St. Joseph and, and that we are still kind of developing now. Um it's, it's, it's really quite amazing. And I, I particularly like the um, the reflections on the flight to Egypt. And I think that um, for those of us who have gone through, you know, work transfers or having to move one place to go to another place, St. Joseph is such a beautiful um, just patron of, you know, picking it all up and, you know, looking for the best in, mm-hmm. in hard times. So that he's he's been yeah. helpful for us there, too. It's also the patron of, of immigrants and travelers mm-hmm. for that very mm-hmm. reason. Yeah. yeah. He, he has a lot under his umbrella. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, isn't he called also like the terror of demons? Yes. <laughs> yes. I love it. I know. I don't know why that is, but it, it, it must be a reason, you know? I don't know why demons would want to mess with Joseph. Well, I mean, he was the guardian of, Jesus, of the right? Son of God. I mean, yeah. that's a that's a pretty that's a pretty big uh you know job to have i would say that would that would scare yeah I, well anyway um so, so speaking of of new um of new like statues and images is conse- the, the uh, consecrating yourself to saint joseph is that a new practice yeah you know i i saw that that book come out as well the past this past year this consecration to saint joseph and the consecration to blessed virgin mary Mm-hmm. Uh, has been a thing, you know, right. in the life of the church. Right. Certainly, since uh, Saint Louis de Montfort, you know, you know, popularized it, so to speak, centuries ago, and you know, probably well before that. Um, but I, it, the consecration to Saint Joseph, it, 
from what I can tell, uh, if it existed before this book came out, it wasn't done in a kind of uh, organized fashion. You know, mm-hmm. but I think I think uh, a lot of different cultures cons- would do things leading up to, for example, the Solemnity of Saint Joseph. Right. You know, it was very uh, very popular in Italian cultures. Uh, even once they immigrated over to the United States, to have altars uh, to St. Joseph mm-hmm. leading up to the Solemnity of St. Joseph and doing novenas to St. Joseph and this right. notion of consecrating yourself to St. Joseph leading up to the solemn, Solemnity of St. Joseph. But I don't know that I've ever, you know, it seems like this book is a, kind of an effort to create a program of consecration similar to the kinds of things that you would do consecrating yourself to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Can I ask a question? And I don't, I don't want to throw a wrench in in the consecration talk, but I do wonder, like, just just for clarity's sake, when we do the Saint Louis de Montfort consecration, it's to Jesus through Mary, Fair, right? Yes, and absolutely. so, but but this particular consecration, at least according to it's Father Calloway's book, I believe, um, it does particularly say consecration to Saint Joseph. Can you give us sort of a theological justification for a consecration to a saint or to someone other than Jesus? Because again, I want to refer back to Saint Louis de Montfort. We're consecrating ourselves yeah. to Jesus through the yeah. Blessed Mother. Like we're using her as sort of a conduit. You know, she brought him into the world, and therefore we depend on her um, as a as sort of a dispenser of graces as she dispensed to us through her very body, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, how do we how do we um, deal with these, these terms of consecration? Because I feel like our Protestant brothers and sisters, you know, don't really understand what that means. How do we yeah. explain it? Well, and I would say, you know, I don't blame them. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, because the, because the term consecration certainly carries with it a uh, a connotation of of uh, divine things that you it's are consecrating aside right yeah you're consecrating your life to something of the divine nature mm-hmm. you know and um so when uh, people take vows and and lead the consecrated life so to speak you know they're consecrating themselves to god mm-hmm. um you know our our it's not an exact parallel but our our marriages uh, we are uh, betrothed to one another. I'm betrothed to my wife. That that marriage is consecrated as a we've consecrated ourselves to God in marriage, mm-hmm. but we're you know but we're we're not consecrating ourselves to some false idol or something like that. The ultimate consecration is obviously to to God, mm-hmm. and so I I have not read this book for all nor I know, have I yeah, and so for all I know, uh, Father Calloway does an excellent job of kind of explaining the nuances of what it means to consecrate yourself to to St. Joseph, quote-unquote, and what that means. But for our Protestant brothers and sisters, some of whom may be listening, I, I, would, I would totally understand where they're coming from in terms of their hesitations about this language, and I think many Catholics are hesitant about this kind of language. Um, my suspicion is, and, and, and again, uh, you know, this book is received— the necessary imprimatur and Neil Obstotts and all that kind of stuff. And so, um, uh, so I'm, it, you know, it's, it there's is nothing uh, contrary to the, there's faith nothing contrary yeah. to the faith in it. So, but I am assuming that the, you know, the purpose of it is similar to why we, uh, why we venerate saints and look to saints for intercession to begin with Right. is that uh, we want to align ourselves. Uh, you know, if I aligned my life, 
my spiritual life and day-to-day life uh, right on, you know, side-by-side with, uh, with how St. Joseph conducted his life, that would only bring me closer to God. Right. You know, I certainly know that I got a lot of work to do in my own life. Everybody has their own weaknesses and their own, and their own strengths. Um, but I, you know, none of us are sinless. All of us have sinned and are deprived of the glory of God. And, and only Jesus Christ can forgive that and, and expiate those sins so that we are then justified in the sight of God. But, uh, if I align my day-to-day life, uh, with how St. Joseph lived his life, I know that, that I'm, I'm going to be on a really good track, a, a lot better track than I'm on right now. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and um, and so I suspect that's the point of this consecration is mm-hmm. to really dive deeply into the various aspects of St. Joseph's life and how he lived his life so that I can then not it's not that I'm consecrating myself to St. Joseph as if he is a divinity, right. but it's consecrating right. myself to like his way of life. Yes, yeah. that's a good explanation. I, I, I can approve of that message. Mm hmm. Um, I could be like, totally I wrong there, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you want me to read off your list of fabulous credentials? Why we asked you all these hard questions. <laughs> We're going to have to get another canon lawyer on here to that's back, right. back, 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 right. That's right. <laughs> but I mean, you're right. A lot of it, a lot of it is, uh, uh, difficulties with semantics and, um, you know, titles of books like that, they make sense within the Catholic mindset. Right. Uh, but I totally understand how titles of books like that can also really drive a wedge with some of our Protestant brothers and sisters, and not necessarily unjustifiably, you know, because they can see that and say, eh, well, there they go again, those crazy Catholics. And um, But it is what it is. That's why we've got to, you know, be vigilant about why we believe what we believe and be able to be, you know, be able to explain why we believe what we believe, but also be vigilant about having real, true Christian friendships, you know, across the spectrum and, right. and not, and not, um, and not, uh, necessarily just, uh, retreat to our Catholic ghettos so much yeah. because then, yeah. then we'll never language. be able to, yeah. right. Yeah. Yep, I agree with that. Okay, uh, do we have anything else to say about St. Joseph other than St. Joseph, pray for us? Because I do want to like turn the corner just a little bit <laughs> to talk about something else. <laughs> turn it. Turn okay, it. Matt I'm Glover. At, hey, Fran. Uh-huh. What are you maybe at? We can, maybe we can pause here, but I'm at yeah. 8%. Okay. So we can see, okay, we can see so- how long we can go. Okay, um, we'll we'll try to go fast because it's just going to be a couple of a couple of little questions. Okay. Let it, let us know if you just. Well, actually, we'll know if you cut out because you'll be gone. You'll know. <laughs> you, you will know. But it, if I do, then I you know just give me like three minutes and I can sure. call you right back. Oh, awesome. Okay. Um, my other questions. So you had just said that we all have our weaknesses. Of course we do, and we all have our strengths. Of course we do. And one of your strengths is that you really are a. a a brilliant litigator in terms of understanding the law, weighing all of the <laughs> arguments and all of the things. And you, among all of the the you know people who are consulting bishops in their dioceses, um, really played a big part, I think, in setting a trend and what many dioceses are doing now in response to the coronavirus. And I, my, my question is going to be a little bit open-ended because I don't want you to share anything that you cannot share or choose not to share, but we would love to pull back the curtain a little bit and just say, 
What are some of the more complicated decisions that the bishops and pastors have faced canonically in response to like, you know, suspending masses and just making all of these little tweaks that we're still doing actually? Yeah. Boy, that's a, that's a tough question from a, you know, from a canonical standpoint, uh, everybody, uh, everybody in the life of the church from priests to religious, to lay people, um, to deacons, uh, we have, uh, certain rights, but we also have corresponding obligations because of those rights. And so, uh, those rights are not necessarily absolute rights. You know, in, in the United States, we, I think we uh, have, in some parts of our country, drifted so far uh, to one side of the pendulum about talking about, I have a right to this. This is my yeah. right. Mm-hmm. And uh, so then we feel we're entitled to, th- to certain things. Right. Uh, and, and there's, in those circles, sometimes not enough discussion about, well, I have an obligation and I have a duty and, I, um, and, and my right is not necessarily an absolute right. Mm-hmm. My right can be, uh, can be uh, restricted if done reasonably. And, uh, and my right is, it can't be exercised absolutely to the detriment of other people. Um, and so in canon law, it's a similar type framework. So everybody has rights, but everybody also has corresponding obligations. And there are a lot of, there are a lot of rights in the code and in other sources of canon law, but those rights are not necessarily always absolute. And so what I think you're seeing here in, in really truly unparalleled times in the modern church, uh, is how do we balance people's rights to, for example, receive the Eucharist, uh, priests' rights to be able to celebrate the Mass for his people? Mm-hmm. Um, and how do you balance uh, possibly looking at restricting those rights when it's for the greater good mm-hmm. uh, of, of the people of God? It, I've heard it uh, said uh, a lot in the past week or so that you know, bishops' ultimate uh, uh, job is to provide for the spiritual wel- welfare of the people. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's true, but it's incomplete. Mm-hmm. It's true, but it's incomplete. Um, his uh, bishop's job is to care for the entire person, mm-hmm. is to care for the entirety of the people under his care. And it is, you know, the, the salvation of souls is the greatest law of the church. Um, but his, his care for spiritual welfare of people, that it, it's true but incomplete. And so we've been trying to, everybody, everybody is in church leadership across the spectrum, I think really is just trying to do the best they can yes. with, you know, flying blind in a situation that's really unparalleled. And so you know, I really don't think that anybody is acting in bad faith. I mean, I think, you know, bishops are having to make what is ultimately a prudential judgment. Uh, under extremely difficult circumstances and what they think is best for for the care of their people. Um, and although Little Rock, you know, may have, uh, you know, was kind of maybe early, so to speak. Uh, you were early. You, know, in, you were very last, early. Last Thursday. <laughs> but I can tell you just from, uh, from talking with uh, my counterparts in other dioceses throughout the country, 
you know, we may have been early in putting ours out there, but we were not early in terms of giving serious thought and consideration to it. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, you know, everybody was thinking and looking along these lines, and and um, uh, I probably should just stop there. But sure. uh, but I think you've seen um, you've seen dioceses, you know, across the board over the last number of days. Uh, you know, come to those same kinds of conclusions, not because of pressure they get from us or from anybody sure. else, but because their bishops come to prudential judgments and conclusions in their own time. Mm-hmm. Um, Oklahoma City, Archdiocese of Oklahoma City just announced the same thing yesterday. Diocese of Tyler, uh, our neighbor to the southwest, uh, just which announced is the same notable, thing. Which is notable because Tyler and I think Diocese of Portland were both being upheld as like, they're doing the right thing. They really believe right. in the Eucharist. Right. And so to as have it, them come along board, it makes, I mean, not, not right. that this was like, we're winning, but like, see, I mean, it just it's, takes time. Yeah, it's not a matter of winning. Not, not it's a, a matter yeah. of, <laughs> everybody's making a prudential judgment yes. in their own time and in their own way. It doesn't mean that the bishops who decided it early don't love the Eucharist yes. or, or don't yes. want their people to have the Eucharist. Right. And it's not that the the bishops who decided just yesterday or today, it's not like they aren't, uh, they don't care about the physical welfare right. of their people amidst the coronavirus outbreak. Absolutely. And that, you know, both of those extremes are extremes. And yeah. the truth is, is really in the middle as yeah. Thomas Aquinas and, and Aristotle would teach us, you know, go virtue find is in the, the middle. virtues in the, in the middle. That's and right. so, but both of those extremes are just really unfair to bishops who, mm-hmm. yes, there's certainly ideological differences amongst bishops, just like there is anything else. But I just don't see that here. I mean, bishops here are trying to do, trying to make the best decisions they can, given rapidly uh, evolving uh, situations. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think we have to, St. Ignatius of Loyola would say uh, to, to his uh, followers, you know, we've got to presume We've got to start off at the outset of presuming that uh, everybody's best intentions, yeah. presuming that people's decisions are being mes- made with the best intentions. Mm-hmm. Because if we're presuming the worst about people's intentions, that just that's that's where the evil spirit gets in and divides Absolutely. us. That's exactly what Satan is. It's the great divider, yep. and that's what's happening. So yes. Thank you so much for for taking us through those just complicated decisions and giving us some perspective that all of the bishops are really doing their best. And, I, you know, I think if any of us spent any time thinking about it, that would be the conclusion that we come to. But like so many people have responded just viscerally to what's happening and understandably so. I think the best quote, Matt, that you gave to J.D. Flynn um, when you did your interview <laughs> with him for a Catholic (laughs) news agency was, of course, everybody's upset. I would be upset if everybody wasn't like, of course, this is bothersome. This is, this is upturning all of our, all of our lives in so many different ways. But, you know, we just need to like take a breath before we respond and, you know, really do consider that these people are, are, are looking out for our best interest. I mean, if we had a nation and a church full of Catholics who, uh, we banned public masses and they couldn't go to the Eucharist anymore. And people just apathetically said, Oh, well, okay, we'll, we'll be back in a couple months. Then that's bad. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that, that apathetic attitude. I would much rather have people, you know, calling to complain and, and emailing to complain about being deprived of this than not. I mean, and, you know, and what's your email sign. address, Matt? What's your email address? <laughs> <so they can? laughs> Get right on that. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's Franchelle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Uh, 
Well, thank you, Matt, for joining us. Are you, are we ready to, to end it and wrap up with our last little bits? Do some last little Here's jokes. the thing, Matt. We know since you're a repeat um, guest, you know that we do last little bits. Did you come prepared? I, did, I came prepared with zero last little bits. <laughs> and that's just last little bit, Mike. <laughs> so we're going to give you the benefit of going last on the last little bit. <laughs> Fran, do you want to go or do you want to rock, paper, scissors? Or Oh, I'll go. I'll go first. Sure. Okay. Um, I just found a, a really, I thought, a very good, so reflecting back on St. Joseph, because that really is the purpose of this podcast, um, even in the wake of coronavirus and all of the crazy things that are going on in all of our lives. Um, I thought this is a beautiful quotation, particularly about St. Joseph from Pope Paul VI. And he just said, St. Joseph is the model of those humble ones that Christianity raises up to great destinies. He is proof that in order to be a good and genuine follower of Christ, there is no need of great things. It is enough to have the common, simple, and human virtues, but they need to be true and authentic. And I think that, again, St. Joseph is such a beautiful patron for times such as these because, you know, God really will, I think, raise up humble people, you know, doing quiet things in their homes, you know, leaning into to raising our children in a way that we never have before, um, taking care of each other, taking care of the elderly, taking, you know, our, our medical professionals going in and doing heroic work that they, you know, didn't sign up for. I mean, they, they knew what they were going into when they went into medicine, but they didn't necessarily think that this was going to happen in their lifetime. And so they're doing all of these humble, small, quiet things that we don't see see, um, but the, cult, the the opportunity to cultivate virtue in these times, I think, is just enormous, and I think there are going to be some great saints that come out of it, um, as all as all times of crisis and suffering do, so. Thank, thank you, doctor. Thank you, nurse. Thank, thank everybody that you see thank in the hospital priest. or at the doctor's office. Yeah, thank, thank you. Thank, thank, thank you, deacon. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so my last little bit is um, since Saint, the Feast of St. Joseph, the Solemnity of, of St. Joseph, um, is tomorrow. So as, as most of our listeners hopefully know by now, we record a day or two early. So uh, the feast day is tomorrow and then um, on Thursday, and then this will air on Friday. So between now and Friday, Brooke Glover will have had a birthday. And I'm just hoping <laughs> that Deacon Glover has done his shopping pre-quarantine <laughs> or has good access. Um, you would be and, hoping and We hope wrong. you have a cake. Oh, no. <laughs> well, we're just going to send out lots of birthday wishes and belated birthday wishes by the time this airs to Brooke and hope, hope y'all have a great, um, great social distanced birthday party with, for her. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> we're, I'm, I'm working on something big, but not yeah. big in terms of numbers of people at our house. Right. So, yeah. Get some, get Come some lilies some from your yard. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I love it. Okay. So Matt, if you haven't thought, have you thought of something in the meantime, so, in, yeah. these, in these great moments we've given you to contemplate yeah. the wonders of last little bits? I would say my last little bit is, and it kind of uh, ties together in my mind, the uh, coronavirus stuff with the St. Joseph stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, you know, I've been thinking and reflecting a lot on uh, the life of Catholicism and Christianity in Japan, which mm-hmm. I know sounds really weird. But uh, in Japan was uh, evangelized by St. Francis Xavier and others like in the late 1500s, early 1600s. And then was, we were converting so many people that 
the rulers of Japan just put a total kibosh on Catholicism there and outlawed it and killed a whole lot of you know Japanese uh, martyrs. Uh, and so it, they really went underground and into hiding. And so it wasn't until like the 18, late 18, mid to late 1800s, uh, uh, people started, uh, Catholics, uh, evangelizers started, missionaries started going back to Japan uh, to kind of revitalize the faith. And they got there and lo and behold, over the course of, you know, three to four, almost 500 years, Catholicism had stayed alive and well. Mm. And people there, uh, people there knew what the sacraments were. People there knew about devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary. People there knew about their Catholic Christian faith. And that's not that's not over the course of two or three months or two or three years. That's two or three or four or five or six generations yeah. where the faith was preserved and was handed on. And um, I just think of all of those Christians there who you know, lived their entire lives without ever seeing a priest. And, but they practiced their faith hidden, you know, like St. Joseph. And St. Joseph's faith life was very much practiced, uh, not in the limelight and in a hidden way, not much known about it. Um, and for those three or 400 years, the hidden Christians within Japan uh, practiced their faith in a hidden way that nobody knew about. Yeah. And still to this day, I just think of the hundreds of thousands of people there that died, lived, were born, baptized, lived and died as Christians that we will never know about. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, I just have thought about uniting myself with them uh, in prayer, especially during these uh, days of isolation and and uh, quarantine and social distancing and whatnot. And uh, and I think um, you know we it will be trying and certainly challenge and it's sad and I'm, nobody's happy about it. We're all upset about it. But our God uh, brings good out of bad situations, and I think we can all. Uh, I, I really believe that families and individuals and parishes uh, will come out stronger in the long run for all of this. So, Amen. Please, Amen. Jesus. I love that. that. That's a perfect way to end. Thank you, Matt Glover. St. Joseph, pray for us. St. Paul Miki and all of the Japanese martyrs and Christians, pray for us. We are still in this communion of saints, even in our sequestering times. Uh, we have a great cloud of witnesses, and um, I love I love that reflection. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you, Thanks Matt. for having me again. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. Come back soon. Okay. And we'll help cry. us when we guys. fall into error. In less, you too. In less than a year. Thanks for joining us today on Bellator Colloquium. Please look for Bellator Society on everything social, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And if you like what we're doing here on this podcast, we would love for you to share that with us. Rate us on iTunes to help us get the word out and share, share, share. We cannot wait to chat next time right here on Bellator Colloquium the conversation for online warriors for the true, good, and beautiful.